Hey fellow superhero cinephiles, did you know that almost 30% of adults say they haven't read a book in the past year? The primary reason why is a lack of time. Well, Audible's here to help with the gift of found time. Thanks to Audible, you can listen to audiobooks like Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, or Slugfest, inside the epic 50-year battle between Marvel and DC. Read up on the history of superheroes in comics and movies with Grant Morrison's Super Gods. You can also check out Vanguard, my original superhero novel series, or try The Vril Agenda or The Adventures of Fortune McCall, both of which were written by our dearly departed host emeritus, Derek Ferguson. Whatever you're looking for, Audible has thousands of titles that you can consume while commuting, exercising, cooking, or just relaxing at home. And not only audiobooks, an Audible membership also gives you access to tons of content like podcasts, theatrical performances, and exclusive Audible originals that you won't find anywhere else. To give you a taste of what you can get, Audible has partnered with this show to provide listeners with a free 30-day trial. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash supercinemapod, and with your free trial, you get one free audiobook and two free Audible originals. In fact, you get to keep those titles even if you cancel before the trial is over. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to audibletrial.com slash supercinemapod and start your free trial today. Nothing. Speak only to the Phoenix. Gene, fight it. Use the powers of your mind. Remember what we mean to each other. Gene, please, don't leave me. Scott, Scott, help me. Enough! You are of no use to me. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine. And I'm here with a, a new guest host, and that is a guy I met through the House of X Facebook group, and that is Greg Dunn. Greg, how are you doing today? Oh, not bad, Perry. I appreciate uh, you inviting me on the, on the podcast. Well, I'm glad to have you on. Um, we had talked about, uh, when I was looking for someone to come on and host the uh, Grant Morrison podcast I'm doing, you were one of the people who was interested, but um, by the time we had uh, gotten in touch, I'd already uh, gotten, some, uh, gotten the team assembled, but I thought this would be a little... Um, consolation prize or so oh i i appreciate it you know you just seem like such a busy guy you know and like really popular apparently <laughs> i don't know about popular but de- busy is definitely uh, an understatement um so anyway how about uh tell people a little bit about yourself well i i um i spent oh maybe uh like 12 or so years in in broadcast journalism and uh and and just recently stepped into uh public relations and that kind of thing but um i have loved the x-men since i was in like first grade and absolutely uh think they're like the the coolest thing ever (laughs) so um i learned to read i feel like or at least expand my reading um 
when I was a kid growing up in uh, in South Korea because uh, there wasn't a whole lot of YA stuff uh, at the base bookstore. I'm I'm an army brat and and did some growing up uh, in Seoul, Korea, and and there wasn't any YA stuff. The closest thing to YA stuff was uh, X Men comics on the comics rack. So I just I just gravitated towards it, and the show was coming out. The animated series was coming out at about that time, and I'm just like just zoned in on it. So, um, well, that's a good um, way to talk about it because today we're, we're you and me are doing a two part episode. Uh, we're talking about the the Dark Phoenix saga, um, first the adaptation they did in the animated series, and then the the most recent movie. Uh, so let's go ahead and start with. Um, start with there with with your background and uh uh so you, um was it so the animated series that was available on the base i i got a friend who's oh, in the military well, and they have like the i know they got like a military tv channel or something like that um it uh the if i remember right that there's like a a service um uh in like the commissary or, or like they had a catalog back in the early 90s where you know people on my parents could like look through the catalog and it was like a sears catalog but it was run by um by the dod and and they found uh uh the video cassettes like the single episode cassettes and then by like 1994 we had moved back to the states and then I'm able to actually see it like new episodes every week on, mm. on Fox kids or whatever it was. And it, obviously the animation wasn't the greatest thing in the world, but <laughs> you know, at least quality wise, but it was, it was, I don't know, just mesmerizing seeing like, uh, you know, the, the team and, and you know, having various people and the fact that, you know, diving into the comics, I find out that, uh, jubilee is is asian and i'm i'm ethnically i'm half uh korean so mm -hmm. i'm you know my mother was korean and my father um uh is you know uh tennessee redneck so like <laughs> it it um it just really appealed to me yeah yeah um so that yeah that's interesting that you mentioned that about jubilee because uh watching now that now the series is on Disney Plus, so I've been you know rewatching episodes here and there, just kind of like in the background. And she, um, they they didn't really draw her as looking very Asian in that no. in that series. <laughs> no. and so much so that when um, when they first portrayed her in live action in the in the Generation X movie, it was a white actress playing her. Yeah, and and it really and it goes back to you know me, um, you know, finally getting back to the states and like digging through back issues and mm -hmm. finding out that kind of stuff and and being um, totally thrown off that Psylocke is actually British, you know, because mm -hmm. when I <laughs> when I meet her uh, in the comics first, it's like, oh, this is this is clearly um, an Asian woman. Uh, and wait a minute. But no, if I go further <laughs> back and these old issues, wait, she's British. It's it was just very confusing. That was. But, yeah, know, I I remember when I first started reading the comic books, I think that was one of the stories that I like dove right in the middle of when I first started picking up the comic books and just having no freaking idea what the hell was going on at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the fun of, of X-Men comics, I think, mm -hmm. or the, the danger of it. If you, uh, if you just like dive into it, or if you, um, if you came into it in the nineties and had the frame of reference from the TV show, because they were adapting a lot of, older storylines mm -hmm. uh but also you know coming up with like the whole first season is is just kind of a hodgepodge of 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 uh of different things but 
but going like especially you know adapting the dark phoenix saga and the phoenix saga in the third season just like the whole idea that uh that they you know adapt an old story and you're like wait what's going on because mm-hmm. uh the, the main the what really uh captured me later in the mid 90s was the were reprints and and also um there was a weird uh series that i'll, I'll consider like uh how do i put this it it's like a shot for shot remake of the first 16 issues they got another writer to update the the original 16 oh, issues was that a was professor, professor X and- xavier in the x-men yeah i remember that and, book i remember that book and and it really and, and that's what really made me uh, visually appreciate the original team more mm-hmm. but yeah i remember that uh yeah the 90s series was um uh sounds like for you for uh it was also my gateway into into x-men comic books as well and um and they had done something kind of smart with that because they had used the same, mostly the same cast that was in the comic books. Like it was, it was obviously pared down, right? They didn't have Psylocke on the team or Archangel or Iceman or Colossus or any of those, but like, it was basically the blue team plus Gene and Jubilee more or less and, and Storm. Yeah. Um, Storm, yeah. And, and that made it really, and it was the same costume designs they were using in the early nineties. So it was, very, I remember the first comic book I bought was, um, I think it was x-men 24 where it was uh gambit and rogue on the cover about to oh kiss. yeah man. and yeah and um yeah. i remember and i remember thinking from the animated series like oh they can't kiss oh my god they're gonna kiss in this issue what <laughs> i had to read it i had to see what it, and of course they didn't but still <laughs> right that was my first uh that was my first glimpse of being um being teased by the cover and then not getting satisfied by the inside oh yeah no you have to get used to that with the oh. x-men <laughs> i mean uh or really any Marvel comic, but or, yeah, um, pretty much any comic in general. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I just I, it it just blew my mind, and and I was um, I was just so interested in in the whole idea that that nobody liked them. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you had the Avengers of the Fantastic Four who were basically like public celebrities, and and nobody like the x-men but they were constantly saving the world or doing something right. better for for everybody and so i gravitated more towards the x-men and spider-man and that kind of thing back then yeah same here and it, and it certainly uh didn't hurt that they had um that both of those had had really good cartoon series in the time and then when they got to avengers and fantastic four not so much <laughs> yeah um but so uh dark phoenix saga like this is you know obviously considered by many to be the the best x-men story ever told um i i personally quibble with that a little bit i think it, i personally put it on god loves man kills as the best but um what are your thoughts on that um that's tricky honestly if if i don't know that i would pick god loves man kills i would honestly i think i would pick the the days of future past that oh, okay. two-parter that's a good um, one too and and i understand why people really love dark phoenix and i love dark phoenix mm-hmm. uh like you know what is it issue 129 to 137 but but it's it's tricky because you know not too long ago uh i i went back and i started reading from when chris claremont uh mm-hmm. you know the writer for the x-men takes over and it like from from when he takes over right after giant size all the way to really 137 it's one big arc yeah and 
and the Dark Phoenix Saga is so dependent on little hints and, and you know, the first Phoenix Saga, you know, the early, mm-hmm. like, Gene becomes Phoenix way back in issue, what, 101 or something like that. And and because there's so much baggage already, it's it's like, um, it's like, uh, you know, season three or four of like a, a four season TV show or something right. like that. And and it's, it, I appreciate it. It's great. It's awesome. And I think personally, 137 is, you know, gun to my head. That's probably my like favorite issue ever, mm-hmm. but greatest X-Men story ever. I, I don't know. I think there's too much alien baggage, too much weird stuff with um, too much baggage really with the Hellfire Club and, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that, you know, they're, they're just trying to manipulate things. Um, but uh, honestly, I would say days of future past is probably a better story because it's, it's the whole Holocaust, um, mm-hmm. subtext to it. Yeah. Th- th- that's a really good point. And, uh, you touched on something that, um, has always been kind of my, that's always kind of held me back with, with dark Phoenix saga as well. And that's that it, it doesn't really have anything to do with the root of what the X-Men are all about, which is that, you know, that um, that civil rights metaphor, that, you know, that discrimination metaphor, none of that is in Dark Phoenix Saga at all. Um, and and it's basically just, you know, the X-Men doing Star Wars more or less. And which, you know, and it's fun. It's a great story. And it's very emotional, but it's it, it gets away from what the core of the X-Men are to me. And that's why I, I gravitate more towards God Loves, Man Kills. But you make a good point with Days of Future Past as well. Yeah, um, and I do love I do love God Loves, Man Kills. I, I just wonder, I wonder too, because of, if it doesn't age as well mm-hmm. here in 2021, simply because Kitty, um, you know, uh, throws around some, some words that she probably shouldn't throw around, you know, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, I know, I realized she's trying to make a point with it, you know, back in the eighties. Yeah. 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 That, that's a good point too. Um, uh, well, some of Claremont's dialogue in general just doesn't really age very well. I found no. <laughs> going back and reading some, rereading <laughs> no. some of those books. Um, but anyway, but still, you know, the, but anyway, the, the Dark Phoenix saga, it is considered like by many, to, if not us, by many to be like the seminal X-Men story. And and I think it's been the most adapted when you think about it, because it's been adapted like four times. We have the a- animated series. Um, mm-hmm. We had uh, uh, X-Men The Last Stand. We had, yeah. you know, Dark Phoenix. And then also the Wolverine and the X-Men d- kind of adapted it as well in the in the three-part Foresight Act at, at, uh, episodes at the, at, the end of the, at the end of the first season. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, Although yeah, that, have... that hinted, that was more toward, that was more based on the ultimate version of it, but it was still basically Dark Phoenix. Yeah. It's been a few years since I've seen the Wolverine, the X-Men version of, I do remember at the time thinking uh, this is what they, you know, the, as far as like overall format with Wolverine, the X-Men, I'm like, man, this is what they should have done with last stand instead mm. of the mess yeah. that last stand kind of was. Yeah, yeah, same here. Um, and that, w- that was such an underrated show too. Um, I've been rewatching it lately, and um, like the the '90s series will always hold a, a special place because that's what got me into the X Men and into and then comics in general. But um, but that show has not aged as well as um, Wolverine and the X Men has, I think. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Uh, just just from remembering a few years ago watching Wolverine and the X Men, and 
and I did a full rewatch of the series of the animated series. Oh, maybe like six to eight months ago, and like mm-hmm. the the heart of the pandemic. Um, and it, I mean, you know, looking at it and seeing some of the jerky animation, I'm like, well. I, I guess I just totally missed it or overlooked it, you know, back in 1990, whatever. And um, that and um, gosh, there is a lot of Gambit is just a, a hound dog, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I mean, animate when you're a kid, you don't really notice that stuff, too, as well. But uh, but also the, the animation was not really that sophisticated back in the 90s. I mean, that's one yeah. one of the reasons why batman was so groundbreaking was because it was this um this very beautifully animated series and and that animation holds up even to this day but but x-men was still back still using the kind of like 80 style animation techniques where it was very much kind of you know shoestring budget and that kind of thing so they weren't really putting a lot of time and effort into it and and some of the the voice acting grates on me (laughs) i mean oh yeah um, Wolverine, I think, is the guy who did Wolverine. Um, I got the cast list here. Bring this up. Uh, so yeah, Cal Dodd, who did the voice of Wolverine, yeah. he was great. Um, Chris Potter as Gambit was pretty good as well, and Cedric Smith as Professor X, mostly okay. Although it's tough for me now because after Patrick Stewart and um, whoever did the voice in X Men Evolution, and then in um, and then later in uh, Wolverine and the X-Men, I th- felt they were better. And I'm, I'm more associate Professor X with that kind of voice now. So the Cedric yeah. Smith one doesn't quite hold up as well, but it's still decent. Um, George Buza's Beast as well was really good. But like Storm, I hate Storm in, in this series <laughs> and how she, and they go, they announces go full, everything. <laughs> yes, they go full Claremont with her and she announces every, for a while I thought she had to, that was how her powers work when I was a kid, that she has to fit, verbally announce what she's doing. Right. Well, you know, somebody, um, uh, I was, I was just talking about Storm uh, in the animated series uh, with someone else and then listening, somebody makes, made a point that uh, it's almost like poetry like mm-hmm. a spoken word, uh, like, um, and, and especially they pointed out, it, it's sort of like how Maya Angelou would like read her work mm-hmm. when she was out, you know, um, reading her work. And they, they, with the deep, like wind and rain mm-hmm. and uh, feel the power <laughs> of my lightning. And well, it worked in 1993 or whatever. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I also don't like for a while, I hated Cyclops just because of this show, because he, he's really annoying in this series. Do you know, I, I think, um, uh, honestly, I, I think I'm one of the people that, that I, I related to Cyclops the most because I was the kid who was like, guys, we got to follow the rules. <laughs> like, <laughs> like everybody else loved Gambit and Wolverine. Cause they were, you know, uh, they were always, uh, I don't know. They would throw. They, they were the rebels, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I was I was uh, a kind of a cautious kid, and I think I'm still a little cautious now. And like, uh, no, let's we have to follow the rules. And I love Cyclops because here was this guy who who um, 
had to keep himself in check on the time all the time and he followed the rules mm-hmm. so <laughs> every- uh, so when it comes to dark phoenix um which was your first exposure to that story was it in the comics or was it in the animated series uh i think it was it was the comics actually by that mm. time um i had found well you know what uh so there was this trade paperback um called the greatest battles of the x-men that i had that, that one yeah yeah so i i read the, uh, 137 and the other issues in that book before um, I read, I think, any other X-Men comic. Mm-hmm. And I just I just latched onto it and and didn't I, I didn't even know at the time, like the the, the stuff with the Hellfire Club, uh, you know, uh, you know, I just had the, the conclusion to the saga. It's like I had watched Return of the Jedi without seeing uh, Star Wars and Empire Strikes right. Back. But um uh that was my first exposure and then you know uh by the time i got back to the states uh i had access to uh what i called the the coloring book editions of mm-hmm. x-men they were the essential like newspaper the essential marvel um collections with they were printed on like thin newspaper pulp oh yeah 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 i remember yeah they i remember were, those the, yeah the they big were, black and white collections yeah i remember those yeah you got like 16 issues for next to nothing like yeah, 20 yeah. bucks or something like that so as a kid i'm like okay i can save up my money and buy one of these and get like a whole bunch of story um and that that's really where uh uh yeah that single issue from greatest battles of the x-men that was the first exposure i had to dark phoenix i was trying to remember last night as i was re-watching these episodes if that was because I do remember that trade paperback and that was, I'm pretty sure I had the, I had watched the first season already because I knew I was kind of surprised because days of future past was in that too. If I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. yeah. It was right. after. And, yeah. And I was, I was really surprised cause I, I was really confused and I was reading days of future past in the comic book. I'm like, wait a minute, where's Bishop? What's going on here? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but I can't remember if I'd seen if we had gotten to the Dark Phoenix saga by the time I got that trade or not. So, um, and so I, I, or if I had read the Dark Phoenix saga, because I know there was a trade of Dark Phoenix saga that I had gotten from the library. Um, but I can't remember which one came first. It's like a chicken or the egg situation for me. Um, well, I had, I had assumed that everything in the animated series was you know after seeing the first season mm-hmm. was happening afterwards just because oh they're adapting the show and this must be happening afterwards and even gene has like a throwaway line that uh, somewhere in the first season i think it's when they um it's when they uh when sabertooth is at the mansion it's like mm-hmm. the third or fourth episode but i swear she has a throwaway line about her darker past Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. She says she she does mention something. Yeah, she mentioned something about like you know we all have like a dark past or something. Yeah. So I just assume that oh well maybe they won't adapt it, but you know here they go. Well, the uh, continuity in that series was kind of wonky, and I think part of the reason is because they didn't have um, a dedicated writing staff. Right. It was just all freelance basically. Um, they had the the two um, the two showrunners were on. I I was listening to. Um, uh, the ex-wife podcast and the two showrunners from that series were on there talking about it and and apparently like they didn't really have like a dedicated writing staff so it was just kind of like each episode was written by like different people and and they didn't even know if they would go past the first season so that 
And basically they were just given kind of the characters and um, they had Bob Harris as a story consultant over at Marvel. So they were able to run things by him, by him, but, but they didn't have like necessarily like a series Bible or something where everything was laid out. Like you'd have with most TV shows nowadays, it was very, just kind of slapped together. And it shows because um, I remember in the, because you see Archangel appears in the first season, right? And he right. doesn't know any any of the X-Men. Magneto appears in the first season and it seems like it's the first time he's meeting the X-Men. It's not quite clear. Um, even the episode with the Juggernaut, it it kind of seems like he knows everybody, but at the same time, they're talking, sometimes they're talking like they don't know him. Um, and then, but then you get to later on in the series when you have um, the Iceman episode, which was one of my favorites. Um, and you see the flashbacks and you see Angel in the flashbacks yeah. <laughs> with the original X-Men fighting Magneto. So <laughs> they didn't really do very, very good job with some of the continuity there. Well, you know, it's like a uh, typical um, X-Men retcon, you know, you mm-hmm. just throw in and, and you, you just duct tape it together, I guess, later yeah. on. You yeah. just... <laughs> you do what you need to do for the episode and justify it later. Uh, so anyway, going to the, talking about the adaptation then, um, what, what were your thoughts rewatching uh, these episodes? Um, well, I, it wasn't bad. I, mm-hmm. I didn't, uh, I guess I, I, let me think about this. Um, I, I've forgotten the part where where Dazzler was basically uh, just kind of um, there to to throw off Jean slash Phoenix, mm-hmm. and and then she was more of a uh, there was there wasn't a whole lot to her, but she only gets the one episode. Um, mm-hmm. As far as an adaptation, it it does. I think it works for the most part. What what does bug me, I guess, is the whole idea when uh, that because Jean doesn't kill the broccoli people in the cartoon mm-hmm. like she she does in the comics, then it creates this whole situation of they're putting our, her on trial for uh, property damage. Now, granted, it's like an entire star system, but mm-hmm. she's being put on trial and potentially put to death for property damage. So I'm like realizing this, you know, just now like. Gosh, that's a that, that's a harsh part. Death is a harsh punishment for just property damage, basically. Lander doesn't mess around, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> well, that she also damaged the ship too, so I guess you know she's yeah. a little bit pissed that she's got to buy a new ship now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's kind of rough. It it really does change the whole dynamic. I feel like mm-hmm. if you dive into it, because you know the broccoli people who, you know, get used later on in in the. Uh, in the dark phoenix uh, yeah yeah we'll we'll get to that (laughs) we'll get we'll definitely get to that um but yeah the dabari um yeah that was the my biggest no i do now i do remember i did see this before i read the story because i remember reading the story i'm like oh wait a minute there are people on this planet that she's killing i'm like that wasn't in the show um so that was uh that was a big uh that was a big shock for me and it does it allows the it's weird. You're you're right. It is kind of a weird way for her to punish because they're basically punishing her for something that she might possibly do in the future. Um, yeah. 
they're punishing her for her potential to be uh, destructive. Um, but the thing that stood out to me most was that it allows them to then use uh, it. Give this way, they get permission to use Claremont and Burns' original ending for the Dark Phoenix Saga, which is Jean survives, but she gets well. They use a variation because she still has her powers at the end. But in the original ending, they had planned was that Jean would survive but she would be stripped of her powers. And then her and Scott would have retired from the X-Men and kind of gone off into the sunset to start a family. That was the original plan to end. And that was kind of something Claremont wanted to do was have these characters rotate in and out of the X-Men. And eventually, you know, characters would come in, they'd age out or they'd retire and then they'd move on and, they, and they'd be replaced by new characters. Um, and eventually he was going to have Xavier die completely and Magneto fully take over the school. But then, you know, Jim Lee wanted to go back to basics and all that. So they had to get rid of all that stuff, which is not necessarily a bad decision. I understand why. Um, because you got You want to keep that brand alive for and you want and, you know, people want to want to read their favorite characters anyway. So, um, yeah. well, I wonder, too, thinking about that, um, you know, because it's really like in the mid 80s, I feel like where uh, where they introduced what did they call it back then, like the seven year rule. Mm-hmm. That it would always be seven years since the Fantastic Four uh, went into space, and, and I think it was—I I think it was Byrne who did that. Yeah, and it was like five or seven-year sliding timeline. You said, yeah. So, because really before that, there's like a Christmas issue every year, right? And, and Cyclops is dropping references to how many years ago the plane crash was mm-hmm. when he was a kid, and and firmly um, grounding them in a timeline, and really it if it makes sense to rotate characters out, if you're mm-hmm. going to establish that it is 1980, whatever, when, when those uh, comics actually come out and then you're going to replace them, especially in a school setting with new characters, new generation, right. and just adhere to it's about the current present. And then, um, and then the, uh, uh, the 60s stuff really did happen in the 60s mm-hmm. and that kind yeah. of stuff. And, and, and the second, uh, the deadly, or not the deadly Genesis, the, the second Genesis, second Genesis team yeah. uh, uh, actually is in the 70s and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I can, I can kind of see where, where, you know, retiring people make sense. And, mm-hmm. and like he, he didn't necessarily create any of those characters. Lean, like it, that, I feel like that was Len Wein and, and really like, um, Marvel bullpen creation. So we, you know, time to rotate, rotate in some new blood. Right. Right. Um, you mentioned the Dazzler thing too. Uh, cause I remember she was part of the dark Phoenix saga as well. There was this, there was this whole thing with the hellfire club and the X-Men both trying to go after new mutants. And so they had one group that was going after Dazzler. Um, and another group who was going after Kitty pride. That was her introduction. Um, mm-hmm. Which is interesting now I'm watching this because they really did not want to use Kitty Pride in this show at all. She's like the one character who never appears once in all the episodes. Yeah, yeah I wonder why that is. <laughs> um, well, apparently um, it had a lot to do with Pride of the X-Men uh, because they were worried um, when they when they were putting the show together, they thought about using Kitty Pride. And you can see like Jubilee in this series is basically Kitty Pride right she's she's got none of the jubilee personality from the comics really um and they had wanted to use kitty pride in the beginning but then they realized oh wait well we got this pride of the x-men pilot and if we do the same thing you know people are going to think it's just we're just redoing the pilot again Mm 
So they wanted to avoid those kind of comparisons. And that kind of, so apparently that, and that seemed to have kind of created the situation where they never use Kitty at all. Huh. See, I, I mean, that is the one thing about the animated series adaptation I would, I, I would kind of harp on is because if you remove Kitty Pride, you've also watered down uh, Emma Frost's involvement. Because mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 it shows in in the episodes, um, you know, be, because you're only getting basically half of the some some of the story from those original issues where you know it's just Dazzler. Because yeah, in the comics they they split up, and uh, what is it? Um, you know, half the team goes uh, uh, to check out Dazzler, and the other half go you know to meet Kitty Pride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It does. It totally waters down. Uh, Emma's part in the story and which is why we uh and also in um and then in first class too and you know x-men origins we both get we get watered down versions of emma and both of those and then you know mentioning wolverine in the x-men that was the only time we got an emma another medium that was done some amount of justice yeah uh in fact and like in in the comment correct me if i'm wrong like um emma's not in the later hellfire club stuff right because she she just helps mastermind establish the connection and it's no just... no she she's she remains active with the hellfire i believe she's active with the hellfire club but she becomes more active in the school side of it with the hellions and so she becomes oh, more just, active in the in the I just mean stuff the dark phoenix story itself because oh oh the, yeah 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 she gets like i don't know brain burnt out or something like that and she's out of commission through the rest of the dark phoenix saga and she you're right you're right yeah the, yeah yeah you're right you're right like way after i thought you were talking about hellfire club stuff in general but yeah oh, you're right no. in, in that yeah in that series she basically comes in and um and i believe it's gene who basically like kind of like you know knocks her on her ass and then like takes her out of commission for the rest of that story yeah um so yeah you're right about that um and and she doesn't really have much of a purpose in in this these episodes either. Like she's basically just there to to kind of help mastermind, you know, along basically. Yeah, and it really visually, you you need her there mm-hmm. uh, to kind of fill out the Hellfire Club, and you know, you I guess with a kids' TV show, walk the line with with using uh, a comics accurate costume with her. Well, I thought that was <laughs> funny because I noticed. Her costume is more or less comics accurate, but when it came to Jean's Black Queen costume, all of a sudden they gave her blue leggings. So, oh yeah, <laughs> so there was some. So apparently they couldn't go full bondage with Jean, but they could with Emma because Emma was a villain. So I guess that was yeah, okay. she's a bad guy. It's okay. <laughs> Get away with uh, it. But also there is, and the you can see looking back on this show the the standards and practices influencing things like you know the fact that they're not allowed to be called the Hellfire Club instead they're just the Inner Circle and the Circle Club. Yeah, um, yeah the sign says Circle Club. And I think Wolverine and the X Men had the same problem too. They also didn't call them the Hellfire Club, if I'm not mistaken. They were just called the Inner Circle Circle as well. Um, yeah, um, and even uh, you know I'm years later picking up on. Um, nobody says kill. You just say mm-hmm. destroy. Exactly. Yeah. No. Uh, well, that and- was one of the things like they, they could not do certain things in those shows. And um, like, even when they fired guns, like you notice all the guns in the, in those episodes in, in that whole series, they're all energy blasters. None of them yeah. fire real bullets. 
And that was because that was a rule. You could not fire real bullets. Um, In fact, Batman the Animated Series was groundbreaking in that way because the guns fired real bullets. And um, and, uh, and I remember, especially if you look at some of the behind the scenes stuff about the Spider-Man TV series, like they had some ridiculous rules. Like if Spider-Man lands on a roof, there can't be any pigeons on it or something like that because you can't make it show that he has heard of any pigeons or, or it was oh, not scaring any pigeons. It was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like they couldn't show him like directly punching someone. It would have to be like, it would have to be like, you know, reaction shots only, or, or it really? was because um, it was because of the backlash over power Rangers, apparently oh, it influenced yeah. <laughs> a lot of the stuff with Spider-Man. And so like they got, Fox got terrified about offending parents because of that. Um, well, I know as a kid, I was offended uh, by uh, by uh, punches not connecting properly and people yeah. not flying backwards. <laughs> I mean, I wanted big action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, well, also, like you mentioned, the, the destroy thing instead of kill and, you know, Jean doesn't kill anybody in in this dark phoenix she doesn't kill anyone she just you know the they make a they make a point of saying that you know the captain's bitching about the fact that they're they're mapping this uninhabited star system because they can't have Jean killing anybody um so no broccoli people die here and then and even at the end right they don't Jean doesn't die at the end she's brought back to life but even still they never say that she is dead right they say her life force has been extinguished or something like right. that. Right. She hasn't been killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her life. Yeah. You know, watered down language. Well, you know, I, I really, cause you can't, it, for a kid's TV show, you can't really stick with uh, the original ending from the comics where she mm-hmm. decides to commit suicide, you know? Right. So even though it's the most noble, she thinks she's saving the galaxy by killing herself. Yeah. I can totally see someone at standards and practices saying we we can't condone any kind of suicide right well that's a good point too i realized that as well because it's in the comic book she sets up this this gun to kill her at the end Mm -hmm. there but in the in the show it's a blast from the the shiar gun um from the ship and they do make a point though i did catch on something though and i think this is kind of a way they snuck it in because they make a point of saying that the weapon they've lost control of the ship or something like that. Yeah. So I think um, they kind of hint that Jean had taken control of the ship and had tried to kill herself that way, but they couldn't come right out and say that. Well, uh, you know, I remember that now. Uh, yeah. The, the weapons get wonky and the professor mm-hmm. says something about, um, uh, or, or, or one of the technicians say, oh, the weapons are back online. And the professor mm-hmm. is convinced that it's Gene, like, fixing it. But then there's a, a really clear shot, though, of Lalandra slamming on the control. So yeah. I'm, I'm led to believe it's like Lalandra, you know, make, you know, pulling the trigger. I think it's I think it's done that way intentionally so that they can they can they're kind of giving themselves cover in case anybody yeah. picked up on what they were doing. Yeah, uh, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel the same as um, as the original comic, where you figure out that she's she set that whole thing up, and, right, and yeah. you know she kills herself with the old uh, alien gun and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, in general, though, I think they did a pretty good job of staying true to the comic book because they both they they um, they seem to mostly have the team 
like they, you know, Wolverine, Storm, Cyclops, they were all part of the team in the original. Beast as well. He came, he was part of the Avengers then, but he came in for, for right, this part he gets spotted. And um, Angel was there as well. And then who, who doesn't really have an analog in this version, but Colossus and Nightcrawler, Rogue and Gambit kind of served the Colossus and Nightcrawler roles in this one. And they, they did a pretty good job of working them in, like, especially during the, the Imperial Guard fight, right? You have you know, Rogue standing in for Colossus in the fight with Gladiator. You have, well, you have both Gambit and Wolverine stand in for Nightcrawler at different points. Like there's, yeah. when Wolverine's sneaking around, that was that was Nightcrawler in the comic books. And when Manta nails him. Um, another one is during the battle with Earthquake and Hussar, that was, that you had Gambit in that one serving in for Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. So they did a pretty good job of working them in there. And then they they left out, Jubilee was, doesn't appear at all in these ones. And um, which makes sense um, because at you could put her in the Kitty Pride role, but it doesn't really fit because she's already part of the team. No, yeah, you would, yeah, she doesn't fit it, fit at all, really. And mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, I don't know where you would put her. I uh, really just and and I also watched uh, uh, the original, the first five regular or not the dark part, but the regular Phoenix mm-hmm. saga. Um, and, and picked up on that too, where they do the same thing. They're just, they're taking the cast they have and just filling them in spots and, and moving people around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the, the only really iconic thing I remember from the, the comic that is not in uh, the, the Imperial guard fight is, is a fastball special. That's the only thing. Yeah, you don't that's right. Yeah. Because you don't have Colossus. Um, and one of the things I really liked too was Beast and Storm's discussion in this, right? About, about, you know, about justice and all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and I'm rewatching it last night. I'm like, this is pretty sophisticated stuff for, for yeah. your kids' TV show. It is. Um, and yeah, and I think that, that, that goes, that goes back to the whole idea that she's on trial for something she might do right and, exactly and property damage <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah um uh, because it um it is a lot different when you when you dive into it and you consider the fact that she you know she committed genocide mm-hmm. uh you know un- unintentionally maybe in the comics uh you know especially uh with the story are you familiar with it with like john byrne like um, just kind of filled in the bro- the Dabari, the broccoli people, so to speak, at the last second. And that oh, was, I didn't know that. Yeah, that I I remember reading that somewhere that they were never supposed like it was supposed to be to kind of fit with the original Claremont narrative. Um, but at the last second, for whatever creative reason, he decides to to there was like a miscommunication with what was going to go on those panels and mm-hmm. decided to put aliens in them just I to see. give it a little bit more weight but um and then it went to print i think without claremont's not, i i don't know i might be misremembering the story but but i'm i'm pretty sure that the broccoli the the dabari were uh, a last second addition mm-hmm. and they didn't realize the fact that they turned gene into a you know a mass murderer i do know that jim shooter wasn't aware of it that that's something i definitely remember um that jim shooter only found out about it after the book had already gone to print and and then when he and when he when he was talking to, that he he confronted claremont about this and 
And he said, what's going to happen to her at the end? He's like, well, she's going to be, you know, she's going to be depowered. He's like, no, 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 that's not good enough, right? She, yeah. she, she committed genocide on a global, on a planetary scale. She can't mm-hmm. just get off scot-free. She's got to face some punishment for that. And that, that was when they redid the ending. Yeah, I mean, how do you walk somebody back from that? Yeah. You know, even though uh, they're just they're just aliens, but but you have to give weight to it. And and I'll make a uh, you know I guess a teaser to the to when we when we talk about uh, the Fox Dark Phoenix mm. movie. There's a moment in there when I um, when I when I think uh, the movie really. Uh, uh, embraces the idea that it's the darkest timeline is, mm-hmm. is when you know like how much weight do you give uh to the bad guys uh if if they're not human i mean mm-hmm. they're still aliens they're still living people so h- how easily can you just throw life away and that mm-hmm. kind of thing i think there's a deeper message to it that mm-hmm. um that all life, whether it's alien or, or mutant or human needs to have some kind of meeting. And that if we take it away, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, somebody uh, who's just like a throwaway pawn, their life, you know, like if you look at a movie from the point of view of, of you know, even, even like the stormtroopers in Star Wars, their mm-hmm. lives should still have meaning and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And then um, and even the, the, the foot soldiers to the, to the bad guys, uh, even their lives have meaning like, um, um, with the animated series, uh, one, one shot that I, lo- you know, rewatching that I, I, uh, really love that they kind of stuck the landing with and, and adapted was when Wolverine fall, when Harry Leland sends Wolverine into the sewer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, uh, he splashes down the sewer sewer it, it looks like the same john Byrne panel when he yeah rises up out of the water but you know it again a big difference in the comic he just slices and dices his way through those hellfire club guards but yeah. you know obviously in the comic standards and practices walks them back where he doesn't it doesn't seem like he actually probably kills anybody no he they actually make a point like he retracts his claws and then you know punches them out um yeah. So yeah, they that was um it was always kind of one of the interesting things about the series. They've got Wolverine with his claws and he can't really use them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, except when well, they're fighting he can sentinels. Slice up a door. Yeah. You yeah. know, <laughs> he can slice up a lock, but yeah, he's not drawing blood anywhere. It was the same thing with uh I was a Ninja Turtles fan back in the 80s as well. And like the same thing, right? Like Leo and Raph, they can't really use their weapons. Oh yeah, and and you know uh those original comics with uh who who was the like eastman and eastman and laird yeah laird, yeah i mean yeah they were they did not hold no they, they didn't help back in those at all no <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um the, i'm glad you mentioned the wolverine thing i wanted to mention that too i thought they did a really good job of that and um and just these little bits of wolverine when he's coming up through the hellfire club like when he when the guy's asking for the bottle of wine then wolverine knocks him out and then he looks at the bottle and he's like oh that was a lousy year then he takes the <laughs> turkey leg <laughs> um but yeah just those little moments like that those are really well done uh overall i mean it's i also like that they they found a way to use uh gene's original costume in a way that made sense um they don't say that she was it i noticed that he didn't say uh you're because in the comic book, he says, you know, you're, you're dressed as Marvel girl. 
And yeah. um, he doesn't say that this time. He just says you're wearing your original X-Men uniform. Yeah. Another, uh, uh, another little slip that would, you know, if you're a pay, if you're paying attention in the Iceman episode, then no, it's not really her. Yeah. Her, Cause she's wearing, the, <laughs> yeah, she's wearing the yellow and blues in that one. Um, and, you know, just as a side note, I hate that they brought back the, the green dress costume and the House of X stuff. Um, uh, me too. Uh, um, I, I don't, especially after X-Men Red, you mm-hmm. know, I feel like um, there, I don't know. It, it, uh, I think there's something that bothers me about uh, a grown woman regressing back to a code name like Marvel Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, and they seem adamant about not wanting to call her Phoenix with all the stuff that's going on in, uh, in Jason Aaron's Avengers. Mm-hmm. So, a, you know, um, I mean, I understand kind of between because I, I understand not wanting to use the Phoenix stuff because after resurrection, you know, the whole idea is like, she's put all that behind her. And, mm-hmm. um, and I thought X-Men Red did a really good, even though I wasn't really so sold on the x-men red costume i don't like the like bulky shoulder pad thing but um uh but still like i prefer that to the going back to the green mini dress yeah i uh you know russell dodderman um did a version of the 90s costume i I like the color scheme Mm -hmm. Uh, i think it was in it was in the silent issue uh that he did, uh, you know, midway through the Dawn of X. Um, yeah, it, it was like a callback to uh, the Grant Morrison issue where, where, um, oh, the uh, enough said issue. Yeah. Um, uh, he updated the costume, you know, it, it was like a marriage of the 90s costume with, with the green dress, uh, um, color scheme. Oh, okay. I'll have to look that up. And, uh, if so, if, if you read that issue, that's the costume I would prefer her to be in uh, nowadays. But uh, I think uh, hopefully we'll get there. I don't know. I I feel like there's something else going on in the comics right now with with her and Beast and and all the resurrection stuff. And they they might come back around to finally revealing what's going on. The and, and I think there's another potential connection, um, uh, especially with with the whole family dynamic mm-hmm. that that's been in there with Scott and, um, and both of the kids, uh, cable and Rachel and everybody living in the same house. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's almost like, uh, this is what we always really wanted and that kind of thing. So she's trying to be, you know, nice mom, Jean, rather than grown up, uh, 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 you know, all grown up and that kind of mm-hmm. thing, and leader gene and that kind of thing. Right, it, right. I think it's more of a maternal thing. That's a good point. Okay. Um, well, I, I'm still kind of behind on this. I, I'm getting these stuff through trades when they when they come oh, on sale oh. on Comicsology. So, like, I'm only up to. I haven't even gotten to X of Ten of Swords or X of Swords or whatever it's called. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I I, I don't want to spoil anything <laughs> for you, but yeah, there's there's uh, Russell Dodderman does does a you know a callback it's a whole uh, issue where uh she and emma gene and emma um basically have to do another psychic rescue and oh, so they okay. are just absolutely beautiful 
and um, I, I think you'll appreciate it if you like the 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 enough said issue uh, from Grant Morrison because yeah it's, it's that was really, that was one of the best issues of that run so I'm looking yeah. forward to when we get to cover that on the on the podcast um, anyway uh, one of the things too I thought was interesting about this is when they had Dazzler in here and it was um, they used her 90s look. I notice, yeah, which seems very odd because that's like when she was, you know, this rebellion leader in the Mojo verse, and right. she's doing it, and instead she's using it as a lounge singer. So she's got like the pouch belts and all that, and it just seems really out of place. It it does. Um, and is is it the same voice actress as Rogue? So I feel like she has a like a a slight twang. I'm not sure. That's a good question. To her voice. Um, and and her hair was a little more red. Yeah, than, yeah. I thought that it's was like weird she, too. It's like they were trying to make her look like Jean, so Jean would seem more jealous when she like walks into the club and and she plants one on Cyclops and mm-hmm. and you know, uh, Phoenix like like loses her mind. Yeah, I think that was the intent because I noticed that too that she was like more of a redhead as opposed to as opposed to blonde like she is in the comic books, mm-hmm. um, and you know. And it, it it is funny seeing her in the '90s look. I mean, I guess the disco look would have looked kind of dated, but the that, that '90s look doesn't really work either. No, I. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe there was something coming out in the comics where they're like, "Ah, eh, what the heck? We'll just mm. use, we'll just use her current comics look," because that seems to be like the default thing that they do with with some of the characters guest spotting is like put them in like Colossus, you know, when he guest spots on that show, he's never, um, you know, he's always in like a tank top. <laughs> that was, that was, yeah. Colossus is like the only one who for some reason doesn't wear a costume. Whereas every other mutant who has some cameo always shows up in a costume. Yeah. I remember thinking that was, I was remember rewatching the Colossus episode, um, few weeks ago and thinking I'm like wait a minute how come colossus is the only one who gets to wear street clothes nobody else does well it makes even less sense when he, they give him a second episode where they go back to russia mm-hmm. and it's cold it's snowing and he's still if i remember right and and he's still he's just in that you know white tank top <laughs> right and then meanwhile you get the nightcrawler episode where he's you know in full costume later on or archangel <laughs> the archangel episode where when cable attacks right he's got he's wearing his costume underneath his clothes which i don't even know why he's wearing a costume if he if he <laughs> hates the fact that he's trying to hide the fact that he's a mutant <laughs> oh man but yeah some of the yeah some of the choices in that were weird although speaking of cameos i did notice uh, and i got a little kick out of the the doctor strange and thor cameos we had in here oh yeah i um uh yeah those were fun i oh. Uh, I feel like there was there was something like that with the comics too, where you know because when when Phoenix, you know, has her mm-hmm. big energy burst, you know, we we touch on, and then there was the Watcher too. You, you know, the that's right, the Watcher. Yeah, yeah. That. I knew there was someone else I was forgetting. Um, well, well, the one th- the the problem with the cameos is that if and I went back and watched the the other Fe- the original Phoenix Saga uh, episodes right before. And there's another Doctor Strange cameo in that, as mm-hmm. well as uh, there's a Hellfire Club cameo. So when so when she activates, you know, you like they were setting up. Uh, here's here's what's going to happen next. You know, here it's coming down the line and that kind of thing. But you know, it 
the only problem with that is that having the two Doctor Strange cameos in two different episodes, like, man, what you know, Doctor Strange should be like, <laughs> you know, running down the street to mm-hmm. help out. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they did a few of those little cameos. I remember in the um, in the episode when uh, Magneto establishes Asteroid M that, and he's picking up a bunch of mutants in Africa, and the, there's a Black Panther cameo, right? He's yeah. kind of watching over the whole thing. Um, and they, they had done a few of those here and there. And of course they did have, you know, they did a crossover with Spider-Man eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Those were fun episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Although the animation in that was even weirder because it was like, even, it was even cheaper animation than they use in the X-Men series. Oh yeah. <laughs> I remember thinking it was very odd because even some of the coloring was just very off. Yeah. It was almost, um, more washed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like everything was lighter and, and i i'm just happy that you know that they had the same voice actors so you at least had the continuity there and um that that this was you know all the same universe and that sort of thing well apparently there was some rights issues with that like just doing that you know what was like two or three party it was the, apparently there was a lot of red tape they had to cut through and so much so that when they did when spider-man did secret wars at the end of it in the last season um, they originally wanted to bring all the X-Men in, but they couldn't because of the rights issue. So that's why they had that little story thing where there was only enough energy to bring one of the X-Men. Really? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah Cause I, what they just bring storm. I'm just. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I think also um, I, I'm not mistaken, you know, they had the fantastic four in that and also in, um, and they had Iron Man and War Machine. And I believe those are the same actors from the, their respective animated series as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I remember Iron Man and War Machine uh, sounding the same. Um, I'm pretty sure the Fantastic, yeah, the Fantastic Four, I feel like it. Because I, I rewatched, um, yeah, the whole animated series in Spider-Man. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I keep planning on like, oh, I'll get to. I'll get to Iron Man and Fantastic Four here in a little bit, but you know. From what I, I recall, I, the, the Fantastic Four one was like universally reviled. Um, Iron Man, if I'm remembering correctly, people like the people hated the first season, but the second season they liked a lot more. Yeah, uh, they well they upped the animation quality. It's like they right. I feel um, they must have went to a different animation house because I well if I, the first season they were trying to do like kind of like a. It was like kind of almost like a G.I. Joe Mass of the Universe yeah. type thing because they had like Force Works going up against the Mandarins. And in the second season, they got rid of Force Works and they got rid of all that stuff. And it was just Tony on his own. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, I I do remember the quality being a lot better in the second mm-hmm. season. Yeah. And, and yeah. plus they like they redid the opening. Um, yeah. Yeah, the opening of the first season was like a weird CG kind of thing. But then mm-hmm. later on, they 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 well they opened with a really cool like uh uh like rock you know grunge rock kind of opening and he's mm-hmm. like just slamming the hammer it's it's just it's so much more like striking i guess yeah know, yeah i remember that as well um and uh most of them mentioned um and then they had the incredible hulk cartoon too that was uh i remember that being pretty good as well especially yeah. in, in the second season when they brought in she hulk i remember that being well received <laughs> everybody loves she hulk yeah yeah <laughs> um all right so anyway uh any final things to add about uh the this four-part 
which is basically you know it's basically a movie split into four parts right it's like it's an yeah it's um it's i i yeah it's it's just it works uh as an adaptation Mm -hmm. um uh and and they made it fit you know with the bigger animated series kind of story and um, you know, despite the the watering down, I guess you would argue for a kid's show, I still mm-hmm. think it works. Uh, and um, there's there's always something awesome about um, a duel with Cyclops in a, a three corner hat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I I like it. I I had a good time rewatching it. Uh, this time around and and you know kind of remembering how fun it was and mm-hmm. and the the and i've forgotten about the golden tree at least i oh yeah yeah start, <laughs> starts uh uh when she starts showing off her powers and she turns a tree into like i think it's she's supposed to turn it into gold right just to i think so yeah she like transmutes it into solid gold mm-hmm. yeah um uh, pretty much same thoughts as you uh even with the watering down, I mean, this is still the best adaptation we've gotten of, of the Dark Phoenix yeah. story. And and the series benefited from waiting until the third season to do it. So we had built up and we had seen Jean's power level grow because if you remember those early episodes, she, most of the time she didn't even go out into the field. She just kind of right. hung back at the mansion most of the time. Right, um, she, was, she was just passing out. Yeah, she passed out a lot <laughs> with, with like making the, the orgasm noise every time she did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i also never yeah. understood why they went with the the ponytail in her costume instead of just the full hair like they did in the comics uh i don't know you think it was easier to animate maybe maybe that because she has like a like a because it's pinned back it's almost mm. like a cloth yeah yeah that was just kind of a weird choice that i remember um re-watching these episodes um but yeah it they did a pretty good job you know some of the the voice acting like i said doesn't hold up some of the animation definitely doesn't hold up especially when they they incorporated like some shots of real fire in that and it just oh, yeah. like when they when they had that that close up when she's confronting mastermind and the shadows of her face are they have real fire there instead it just looks so terrible um <laughs> so some of that stuff doesn't hold up um but i do like that they they do hint at the larger world of the Marvel universe, right? You get the Kree and the scroll referenced in here. You get, you know, the Dr. Strange and Thor cameo. So I do like that. They do give these hints of the larger universe that's going on around them too. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, even though it's watered down, even though um, it doesn't hold up as well, it's, it's still the best we've got so far. Unfortunately. I, yeah. Adaptation wise, it is the best that we've got so mm-hmm. far. All right. Uh, okay, Greg, anything you want to promote before we close up this episode? Um, uh, not really. Um, I, uh, uh, you can find me on, uh, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to, hold on, let me start. Up. Um, I wander around uh, the hashtag X Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at never done right. That's uh, never D U N N right. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, I'm just I'm just a fan that that loves this stuff and and yeah, uh, message me about X Men stuff and we'll chat about it. And I you might see me uh, on certain X Men Facebook groups uh, just you know throwing my opinion out there. 
Okay, great. Well, thanks a lot, Greg. And um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna take a break here, and then we'll do the our episode on, on Dark Phoenix. So, for those of you listening, you're gonna have to wait a little bit, but um, but yeah, tune in next time for for our discussion of the Dark Phoenix movie, where um, I'm probably gonna get myself an aneurysm. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, but until then, you know, head on over to superherocinephiles.com. Um, you know, uh, hit us up on, on Twitter and Instagram at SuperCinemaPod on both of those. And uh, please leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. You have been listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SuperCinemaPod. Join our Facebook group by searching for Superhero Cinephiles where you can interact with us and other superhero fans. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a regular supporter at Patreon or make a one-time donation through PayPal, both of which can be found at our website, SuperheroCinephiles.com. If you buy or rent any movies through the Amazon links at our site, it helps support the show. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.